but it never felt like a big break at the time because it was so granular, like every single part leading to it. There was no explosions. There is not always a defining moment that screams success. Sometimes it's a culmination of small decisions and opportunities that make up that big break. And it's only when taking a step back that we can truly see it. Just ask our guest this week, Grammy-nominated producer Steve Daly. Steve is part of the production team called The Track Lacers and has worked with superstars all over the world including Pink, Christina Aguilera, Snoop Dogg, Charlie Wilson, and more. Steve joins us to talk about the small steps and chance encounters that brought him to success on this episode of The Big Break. So, Steve Daly, welcome to The Big Break. Good to be here. Nice to nice to be on. Where are you? Uh, where are you calling us from today? Well, I'm calling from. No, I'm, I'm, I'm in London. I'm just uh, just below London in uh, a little town called Goudhurst, which is basically just below London. So sunny, okay. sunny, blighting, right. sunny old UK. It's sunny. Yeah, I hope you. I guess you're being sarcastic when you say the sunny part. No, no. Actually, it's <laughs> really it sunny at the moment. Like I'm. Oh. It's it's, uh, oh, it's it's like I'm back in LA. It's kind of. Kind of nice for about the one week that we will have sun for the next few years. Okay. Well, enjoy it while you can. I'm so, sorry to keep you cooped up. <laughs> but uh, so I got, and just lately, I don't normally leave with this question, but lately I feel like I have to. It's, I think it's part of the rule of the day now. I just want to quickly ask, you know, how you've been uh, coping with our, with our current uh, worldwide sort of lockdown, you know, distancing type of situation. Are you, are you still locked down? Are you, are you opening up a little bit? You know, where are you in the whole process right now? Yeah, we, well, we've. I've got. Um, I've got two sets of twins, right? Two, two four kids. Two. You have two sets of twins. Yeah, let's start with that craziness. That's 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 no about kidding. as insane as it gets. And um, <clears throat> so the first few weeks were certainly testing, but we've 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 definitely adapted to it now. And you know, we've got a great community of people around here. And I mean, I don't know if I can say this, but I'm kind of. I think a lot of people are over it now. I think a lot of people are taking well over here at least the maybe like letting the masks slip a little bit and maybe popping out a little bit more um yeah i'm 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 completely over the whole thing which is probably oh, yeah i mean I, everyone's i'm sure i, I we, we were we were early uh, in the lockdown ourselves my family and whatnot but yeah. um we're, we're definitely over it but we're still kind of taking it a little bit slow yeah, um, but you. I gotta I gotta ask this question. Two sets of twins. How how old are we talking about? <clears throat> we are talking four years old, big boys, and seven, eight, eight months old babies. So, uh, so it's been yeah, it's been it's been some some screamy times, some shouty times, and we have kind of run out of um, things to do at this point. So, I'm here. I'm escaping the madness. <laughs> I'm on the podcast. Life is great. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Now, yeah. did uh, did did your business anyway get significantly disrupted? Did you lose any recording right. sessions? I don't know if you how much you perform live or anything like that. But <clears throat> did any of that um, affect you? Yeah, massively. I mean, um, we everything's died. Everything had died. Um, you know, all of the work that was coming in really was was put on hold. Any of the sessions were completely cancelled. Um, you know, some people try to do some Zoom sessions, but I, I just find that awkward, to be honest with you. I think it's just weird being on a screen and not in, in the room. So, um, yeah, everything, you know, even like random things that you, you kind of don't factor in, like being owed money that you, you as you know, what we do for a living, writers and producers, you kind of, you can get to the point where you're relying on um you know, if you've got a big gig that's on, you you kind of work around that. So all of those things shutting down and not being able to get um, paid from people. You know, I was in Beijing in December and right when this stuff started to hit and we wondered why the whole thing was kind of like slowing down. So now it starts to make sense. But um, yeah, that's really... It's been it's it's affected everybody. I think everybody's been massively put out by it. And we, we I don't even think we've seen the full... Um, implications of it yet because once those furlough checks and you know whatever everybody else is on in in respective countries stop coming in what's going to happen at the end of the year so 
Um, but for me personally, you know, life's been good. It, I, I've, it's given me an opportunity to get on with um, finishing records and getting on with some of the mundane stuff that I need to do. And and yeah, you know, for me personally, it's been it's been nice. But um, for many others, it's been yeah. a pain in the butt. Very difficult. Mm. Yeah. And let me ask you one last question on, on this, and maybe we can re- address it a little bit later on. But uh, I'm, I'm curious. I, you know, we read a lot about the effect that it's had on uh, artists that are primarily reliant on touring and gigs for their income and whatnot. And that's a pretty obvious one-to-one, like no show, no pay, we get it, right? That, mm-hmm. That's an obvious uh, consequence mm-hmm. of everything. I'm just kind of wondering, is there any – Is there what would you point to maybe as a less obvious um, effect that people who are not not in – sort of the innards of the industry as closely as you are that might not notice or, or, or expect. And if there isn't one, that's fine. But I'm just kind of, I was, I was really curious, like you, you mentioned the people that, that, um, you know, getting paid for certain things, like if, if they're not collecting the money that they need to collect, that then has an effect on the money that you need to collect, which is probably the part of the path that most fans maybe wouldn't necessarily see. Absolutely. And, you know, my, my role is, is behind the scenes. I'm, I'm a producer writer. So, you know, for the guys that are out there touring, I can't imagine what that's like because I, I, I don't even know when that will pick back up. I mean, will it ha- will it come back as we know it this year? It, maybe next year? I don't, I don't know. So that sounds pretty um, <clears throat> pretty rough. But yeah, I think really I touched on it earlier. It's, it's it, There's a payment chain, isn't there? And we rely on money and whatever way you look at it, you get into music for love, not money, I hope. And um at a certain point, it becomes your your full time occupation, and you, yeah, there's a chain. And if if the top people are not getting paid, or you know things aren't coming in, and things are slowing down for them, then um, it spills out to everybody else. But you know, I think really as a, as a writer and producer, you've got it's it's a very interactive experience, isn't it? You you're you're in, you're feeding off of each other. It's it's face to face. This is why I said I don't like Zoom. You're kind of there's a vibe in the room. There's an energy. You can tell if someone's had a bad morning. You can tell you you know you can work around that and write around that. But all of that's missing. So um, you know if you're going to stick to the rules, which we have and we've had to, yeah, that that whole element of the music industry is, which is what makes it special to me and what brought me into it. Um, it's just been weird. It's weird for everybody, but for what we do, it's particularly weird. So, um, yeah, that's that's the changes I've noticed. So uh, let's uh, switch gears here a little bit and get into the what we usually get into in this podcast, which is obviously how you how you got to be in the, I guess the chair that you're that you're in now. So my first question usually gets down to take me back a little bit, take us back, us, me and the listeners, to I guess when you first really knew or noticed or got into uh, music, right? Like, I mean, everyone, everyone hears music, everyone listens to music and things like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, was there, was there a moment where you, that, that you remember that, that you felt that music maybe meant something more or was more special to you than say everyone else around you? Well, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I think, you know, like, I don't want to date myself too much, but back on the cassette tapes when I was a kid and I really started to, um, you know, like you put headphones on, it's really immersive. But if you, if you've never done that before and you're a child, which, and I've noticed this with my own kids, you see that kind of, ah, they're reacting to music. It's like that they're, they're in it now. They like it. And for me, that was like listening back in the day to, um, I was massively into Jimi Hendrix and Kurt Cobain and, Guns and Roses and all these random things that are nothing like what I do now, and um, I think I think I started to kind of like get into like wanting to figure out what was going on and what was what were these noises and these sounds and how was it happening and I would just be locked in my room listening to that stuff and um, that really was the the moment where I thought okay this is cool you know and I had no idea by the way that, that you could even do that for a living it was just you know it's like playing football's cool, you know, like, or what are the things you're into? But, um, you know, that kind of, that, that was the start for me of the addiction to music and then, you know, figuring out what instruments I wanted to play and getting into the guitar. And that was the, was a big one for me, figuring that out and trying to reverse engineer or I, yeah, I didn't even know what it was just like playing along and figuring out everything that was going on in these records. Um, so for me, that was like the first thing, like most people that do what we do, that stuck, you know, like I had, I'd had a million hobbies before that, you know, got into everything and it was the only one that's still there now. So, um, yeah, that was, that was, yeah, like, that's interesting. I think you, 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 
you put you put on the headphones and you hear so much more, obviously. And then and then I like the idea of sort of reverse engineering, like you know some. Some kids that become engineers, they have a radio and they take the radio apart to figure out how all the gears or, you know, the circuits work together and things like that. And, and it sounds like what you were doing was more figuring out how the sounds work together and, and that sort of thing. So, um, so you, so guitar, was yeah. that the first thing that you started playing as an instrument? Yeah. Yeah. Guitar was the first, um, oh, I said, you know what, you're taking me back. So it's like hard to kind of re remember the pieces of the puzzle, but <laughs> guitar was a big one for me. I would lock myself in my room and. I like, I'll never forget the, the, f <laughs> the first record that I like, um, that I, that I learned was wild thing, you know, wild thing down, down, yeah. down, but I only knew the first chord. So I'd, I'd go, I'd go and practice that first chord and I just couldn't figure out the second chord. So I'd go down and I'd get my mum and dad and I'd be like, watch, so I'd play the first chord and then I'd like mime the rest of the chords, down, 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 and watch the horror on their faces. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, yeah, guitar for me was the, the one that stuck. I mean, I'm I'm sitting in my studio now chatting to you and I've got a row of guitars next to me. So that definitely um, definitely helped to start writing songs and, you know, figure it out and just make noises. You know, I like to like drum on things when I was a kid and bang things and just figure out how you can make sound and very geeky, you know, like I think most of us that do what we do, oh, yeah. you're always in the in-between club. You're like, you know, you're not quite cool enough for the cool kids and you're a little bit too cool for the geeky kids so you're like stuck in this like middle section so you turn to music and uh yeah that was me that's great now did, did you start writing songs you mentioned right i was just curious if, if uh when you got into writing songs and if you if you can remember and it's okay if you don't but what was the first song you wrote <laughs> oh my goodness yeah i did i was slightly writing told you i was gonna take you back yeah man i need to like lay down and do some therapy so yeah i think um <laughs> i uh yeah, I started writing songs early. Like, I didn't quite know what it was. I didn't know that that was what it was called. I didn't know I was writing a song. I was like, you know, just words were coming out. I was putting them over uh, guitars, obviously. And um, I can't remember what, how I was recording them down. I think it was like a tape dictaphone. And, you know, that's all in an iPhone now, isn't it? But, yeah, so I was I was pretty much that that was probably around 12 i would say and from that point on i was just writing there was always an idea in my head it was i wasn't necessarily producing at that point that that came a lot later as really as a necessity because i couldn't afford to get demos done so i had to figure out how to do it but um yeah and then there was just like writing 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 and and uh, constantly i you know, i found an old one of the um, tapes I don't know, about a year ago, and it was just loaded up, like with what we would call voice notes now, but just, you know, little mini recordings of um, of records and, and ideas and stuff. So, yeah, for, for a young kid, that was pretty uh, pretty crazy back then. About how, how, how young are we talking about, generally? 12, I got the guitar. Um, I remember it clear as yesterday. Little, I think it was called like ACM Music or something over in Kennington in, in southeast London. I wonder if it's still there. I'd love to go back. Um, and yeah, that, that really was it. It was from that point onwards that um, it, it just never left. And then, you know, started progressing into buying your own records. And, and like, I, I remember the first two records that I bought that, um, weirdly enough, one was Bruce Springsteen, Born in the USA, that I bought on vinyl. I don't know, I don't know why. It's just, that was the first one. Um, and you and everybody uh, else. <laughs> yeah, 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 and um, like the, the, I don't know if I'm skipping too far forward. Like, tell me to pump the brakes. No, but you're, you're good. I'll, I'll, no problem. We were, uh, we were. I was with my mum and dad, and we were like walking through some kind of, um, like like a fairground, right? Like a like a like an amusement, outdoor amusement thing. And um, there was like what I now know is like a street team for. I think it it was either the I can't remember now. It was like. I think it was the soundtrack to the boys in the hood movie and it was, and, and they were giving out the CDs, you know, like they had the like girls dressed in hardly anything. I'm like this young kid. And obviously I run up and grab, grab one of the CDs. And that was like the moment that changed my life into, Oh geez, like listen to these sounds, these big subs and these kicks and just the stuff that was going on in these like dirty, grimy hip hop records. And, that's really played the way forward to now. Like when I really think about, oh, well, why is my sound like, why, why are there guitars on a kind of big, chunky, boomy beats? It's really those two parts if I trace it back. Um, so yeah, that's, 
that's kind of how it all like yeah, to nudge down the, the road. No, I, I love I love uh, the the early records that people pick up and whatnot. I, when I um I used to do a lot of uh, moderating panels at like music business conferences and such, and I always used to challenge the people like before we even got into the um the topic of the, whatever the panel was, I'd ask them all to tell me what the first record was that they bought with their own money, and it's just always beautiful watching everyone's faces light up. Like it's just that memory that just yeah. like starts it all for everybody. You know what I mean? Oh, so, totally. Those things. Uh, so, um, so what, when did you realize that you wanted to do this, that a, that you wanted to, and then maybe B that you even could do this for a living, you know, like lots of people remember their first records, lots of people, you know, play around with the, with the guitar and, and, and try to write songs and whatnot, but not everyone actually tries to do it as what their profession is going to be. So was that, was that right from the start Did it, did it come later on? Was there some other track that you were thinking about doing professionally that you switched over to music? Like give me a sense of, of, of how you went down the professional path. Wow. Well, you know what? There's like a, a little kind of precursor to that. And that is that I, I stopped sure. in terms of going professional. I, I assume you mean as a vacation, as a vocation, a career. And um, yeah, as in like, this is going to be the thing that makes your, you know, your, your living and get, you know, through, through life. All right. Well, that I remember, but the pre part to that was that I went to a, like a regular school, uh, you know, in Southeast London, kind of like a little bit ghetto. And, um, it was a bit rough. It was a bit of a rough school. You know, I came from like humble beginnings and, um, this, this, it, it wasn't a good place for me to be, you know? And, um, I only found this out recently, like my other half now, tells me this story third party through my mum that told it to her but what had happened was I, I in this I didn't do anything I didn't do any homework I, I always used to look around the room everybody else was writing I was like what do they know that I don't like you know it was it it was not um I wasn't like the academic kid then well, yeah it's changed as I got a little bit older but mm -hmm. um and the music teacher pulled my mum aside and was like look the, this apparently he says this boy doesn't apply himself to anything and he's straight a in music if he really wanted to do this you should look at getting him to a music school and and i would recommend one and what i didn't realize is they plotted behind my back and took me to this music school which was a it's a huge music school in the uk called the brit school which um it's like the alumni there is huge tons of people have come out They're like amy winehouse and adele and the kooks and like you have to look online. They, they, they've got a crazy kind of um, lineage over there. And so going there, that was like, okay, look, I want to study this. I want to figure this thing out. I want to be around other people that are in that in-betweeners kind of like section. And um, that obviously puts you in the right place to know that there's something to this. Um, and what happened was I'm trying to, I'm trying to compact this for you because this is like long and probably boring to anyone that's not me, but, um, <laughs> you know, I was a bit of a cheeky kid and there was an audition at the school for, I, I, it was like, for, it was for a girl band or something like that. And, you know, I'm this young kid. I always had the guitar with me. I always had a pick in my pocket and a, a plectrum, if you want to call it what it is. Um, and to get to the toilets, you like you had to walk down this like long corridor, and there was just this line of people, like line of like girls. And I said, "What's going on?" Well, there's an audition in there. I was like, "Let me jump in." You can't. It's, it's for a girl band. I'm like, "Let me just jump in." So I jumped in at the front, walked in, and they look at me and they're like, "What are you? What are you doing?" I said, "Can I please? Can I just play you some songs?" And they basically went to kick me out, apart from one dude. And there was this whole panel of like really top industry guys a, a huge manager i won't name her and a huge songwriter um in the uk that i didn't know anything about and he was like Look, let's give him this i like his style let's give him a go so i play a song i nervously stop halfway through i'm like okay this is play another one and i'm playing a bunch of songs and i get a phone call like a week later my, the the principal the music principal at least at my school a guy called arthur bolton le legend um to a lot of us that you know really helping our careers he says, these guys want you to come back. They want they want you to go and work with them. And that was the first time I ever remember getting proper goosebumps. Like, you know, my hairs are standing up now telling these stories. Like, it was just, wow, this is like, this is this was a, a songwriter called Wayne Hector, who um, who was huge in the, was huge worldwide, but I didn't know any of this at the time. Um, so that, like, that was the first like buzz. And I was like, whoa, this is like, this is like natural drugs. This is crazy. Um, and that, that then takes me down the rabbit hole to being taken to loads of networking events. I didn't even know what they were at the time with all the top industry uh, guys and being like the young protege to this huge writer. 
Um, again, didn't know any of this at the time. I did not know what I had. Um, you know, maybe I didn't cash in on it very well at the time, but it was as an artist, uh, as a, as a performer. And I wasn't really, you know, I was writing songs, but when I look back, I really was the writer, you know, I shouldn't have necessarily been performing them, but, um, and that led me down the rabbit hole to start pursuing it. And out of the back of Brit school, I, I basically just end up wanting to get into production because those songs that I was taking to uh, this manager and to Wayne Hector, they weren't produced and they kept saying, you need to get into a studio. And I'm like, I, I'm like 16. I can't get into, at this point. I was 16. I can't get into a studio. At that point, all the studios were like 1500 pounds a day. So I was like, I need to learn to produce. And that really, that, that thought process, I need to learn to produce was what has led me to what is my full-time career now. Um, and yeah, there's lots more to that story, but I'm trying to condense it as much as I can. No, no, it's perfect. It's, it's a perfect summary, I, th I think. And it, 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 it raises a couple of questions I, that, I, that I love to ask folks, I guess. So first of all, like a lot of this was obviously tied to the Brit school, right? Like the, the if I understand correctly, the, the audition itself was, was, was that part of a Brit school? Was that like an event within the school or was that a separate thing or? or yeah, record labels and managers would, would would regularly go to the Brit School to scout talent. Um, you know, whether it was scouting uh, young A and A and R, or um, but most of the time scouting um, artists. So that was that was something they did in conjunction with them. Um, and I was just like a super cocky kid that just like went into something I shouldn't have been in. But um, yeah, so none of that was meant to be. But. <laughs> well, that's hilarious though. I mean, why not? Right. Like, you know, you're not supposed to be there. You're not even the right gender. Screw it. I'm going to do it anyway. Like, I love that. Um, 2020, 20, and was the school more for training performers or, you know what I mean? Like I, I I'm not, I, I've, I haven't had a chance to go and look at it online, but is, was the school more of a performance focus school or, uh, you know, because you, you mentioned the fact that you were kind of getting into the back and the production side where there are mm -hmm. classes and components or, or even in school studios and things like that for you to, to, to drive down that, that, that behind the scenes uh, side. Yeah, it was just the most phenomenal place. I mean, it, it, I, I'm assuming it still is. Um, it was well-funded. It was part of the, somehow, you know, the Brit Awards, which is the UK Grammys. It was something to do with that, the Brit Performing Arts and Technology School. So, uh, you know, there was like, there was specialists in dance. There was specialists in theatre. There, there was even a fully broadcasted radio station, which broadcasts, I think locally, but certainly throughout the school um, for like radio DJs. And then there was a, a studio with two control rooms practice rooms like rehearsal rooms a big uh mpa they, they called it like the um foyer and theater and so yeah it was a bit of anything a bit of everything for anybody that's creative so it was the perfect place All for right. me so god god bless my mom and that teacher for making that happen behind my back no kidding yeah no, that's fantastic and, and that's uh that's actually one of those things like everyone has different paths but um you know, that I speak with here on the show. And, and sometimes one is that, is that recognition by the parents that there is something that that's different than the quote unquote normal path, but, and having the, the foresight and the courage to, uh, encourage that rather than try to, you know, force square pegs in the round holes. I think there's something to be said for that. So, totally. um, yeah. you know, you're, yeah. you should be, be fortunate in that regard. So now did you, did you, know yet if you wanted to be more of a performer versus a producer like did, did, were you just stumbling through all of it or, or i mean it's, it sounds like I, I don't know like i don't want to put words in your mouth but like what was your initial drive there i, I you know i was still in bands i was i was in a bunch of bands like with awful names like the worst named bands you've you've ever heard like what okay well now you're going to tell me one of the names the flat caps the flat caps i think was one of them, like pinky blinders and um um you know i was still i was still performing and you know like i say it was it was because this is the same time that th these auditions took place where i and you know that then goes on for the next two years that that part of that story where they're telling me i need to get look you've got to get these songs professionally done uh, professionally uh, produced um and so you know come back to the same point in time where i'm at the brits and i'm doing all of this uh performing I'm like writing these songs. I'm like, what do I do? How on earth do you even use a computer to record this stuff? Um, and that, that really started the journey. And there was a buddy of mine, a guy called Glenn Mayer, who um, just this like wide boy, young kind of South London dude. We'd always walk past and yeah, yeah, hello mate. Oh, we should get in a band. Well, like big dreams and big mouths as well. And um, we, we eventually did do that. We eventually started that, that band as embarrassing as that is. It was kind of like a, a boy band. And, he used to say to me, um, you've got to meet my mate, 
he'll go mad if he hears this for talking. He doesn't really sound like that. He's like, you got to meet my mate. He's a producer or he reckons he's a producer. He's at like down the, at this point, I think we were coming up to turning like 18. So it was like some, some bloke down the pub. Um, so I go and meet this guy, right? Cause I don't know any producers at that point. Like, I, I don't know how you look. I don't even think Google was really a thing then. I don't even think computers were just coming out. So it's like, what do you do? So I go meet this dude. And, uh, at this point I think I'm like, I don't know, 17, 18. And we just hit it off. And he's this incredible producer, this young kid. He's like super into it. I'm this like young writer. He saw something in me. I saw something in him. We filled the gaps and we, and you know, we, we, we both produced and wrote for this band that was like, I'm not even going to say the name just in case there's a demo out there, but like (laughs) this, this, this band fizzled and me and the guy, John went on to form what became my career, which was track laces, which was our production team, which, which, you know, we went on to write and produce for tons of people, which led us fast forward to now to like royalty exchange and everything like that. Um, so, so that was the, that was the like pivotal moment for me. And, and, and that point there was when we, we, we were saying to each other, like, okay, look, we're, we, we're at one, one day a week, we're at your house. The other day we're at my house, you know, we, we're like in bedroom studios. We gotta, we gotta get a place. I don't know how we're going to pay for it. We were, we were like from council estates, which is kind of, I guess, like the UK projects, I guess you'd call it like, so we have, we didn't have any like funds or any, uh, there was no silver spoon. Like we, we were born with a, with a plastic spoon in our mouths from, from, uh, from <laughs> McDonald's. But, um, so we, so we, so we, so he was like working in this place. I'm trying to give you the short version. We had this sweet little, um, yeah, so this, so this, yeah this is, this is John, John, John Key, right. Uh, John you and, Key. You and he, the legend. Uh, yeah. So we, so we go, we make a studio. We don't even quite know what a studio is. And we put everything we've got into this little place. Um, it was this, um, kind of like old converted stables and he was working for this plumbing company and answering the phones or something. And they'd moved out and it was available and the landlord took a shine to him and, you know, hardly charged us anything. He was like, yo, you boys, when you're, when you're famous, you remember me. And kind of like one of those angels in life, like you look back and all these like, special people that are put in on your journey and you, you, you know I, as i get older i start to notice them more but at the time you're just like oh there's a, a nice guy and yeah that was one of them and that put us in this building and that led to what i would say once you've got a studio and you're starting to like make a bit of money uh i'd say that's the start of being you know professional As a growing artist or songwriter, keeping royalties coming in is important for keeping the bills paid. It's also important to keep an eye on those royalty payments. A lot of people we worked with here at Royalty Exchange were having a tough time making sense of the royalties they were getting paid. So we built a free tool called Know Your Worth that automatically analyzes every royalty payment made on your music. It breaks it all down in an easy to understand analysis with some insights that would be impossible to find elsewhere. Plus, it connects you with the thousands of investors on Royalty Exchange and allows them to make you offers on your music. So far, musicians have raised over a million dollars for new projects, new ventures, and a whole lot of other things just through the Know Your Worth app. If you're earning royalties, you should be keeping track of them, and Know Your Worth makes it easy. It only takes about three minutes to connect an account, and the tool will automatically update over time. Just visit worth.royaltyexchange.com or find the link in the show notes to get started. Now, let's get back to the interview. So the two of you are together in this space, and you're and you're creating music, and and you're and and the idea is that you're like, please tell me you're 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 creating music that you're hoping to get others to perform, record, release, or are you are you planning to record it under your own names? Um, what was the what was the plan, <laughs> if I could use that word? Because uh, I don't know if there actually was a plan, but like, what was the intent behind the activity that you guys were doing back then? Yeah. Don't- I don't know if planning was our forte back then, but, um, but we were still doing a little bit of the the band thing with, with, with Glenn. Um, and we, we started to just like write and produce. And the idea was that let's try and figure out how to get some records done, get some records out there, but how the hell are we paying this rent? And so that took us down the path of working with what, what some of these guys have gone on to be lifelong family friends um, that are still with us now. And we've all grown into doing different things in the music industry. But we started working with like UK grime artists because they, uh, they were like, you know, they were liquid. Let's just say that they, they had cash on hand and they could, 
um, they could come in and they could pay a little bit of money for the studio and we we could like dust our chops and get good at uh, you know practicing and you know we were we were still good they weren't people took us seriously but like this was you know taken seriously in that world versus the world that we're in now is very different but it, it was a good chance to kind of like learn from each other and um we so we started to make a little bit of money and um and that was our that was our foot in the door we basically were just servicing like the rappers in southeast london uh, the grime as you know the world now calls it grime and uh and yeah and that was like we were while we were doing that we were plotting this track laces thing we were like the track laces takeover we were calling it we were just like right we got to build a team we were reading books about music industry there's this one book i can't remember its name but um Anyway, yeah, you know, trying to get as much info crammed in as possible and really start to get out there and hustle. And that was that was the beginning of it because we started to get some demos now. We started working with some artists. The word got out that there's this, like, new team in town. And, um, yeah, that was really that was really the beginning. So in the spirit of the title of the show, The Big Break, was there, mm-hmm. was there one big moment that really tipped the scales? I mean, there's the beginning moments, you're hustling, you're working with a couple artists here and there, you're putting some stuff out there, you're getting that foundation. Mm-hmm. Was there a tipping point at any, at any time during this where there was like any kind of real notable, I guess, quantum leap forward from you know, trying to make it work to, okay, now it's chugging and, and, and maybe we could point to this one whether it was the one song that you released or whether it was maybe a, a certain meeting that you might've had, or was there, you know, trying to find that one moment that really kind of crystallized it all and really cemented the activity that you've been working on into um, the next yeah. stage. Great question. You know what? It, there were, there were a bunch, there were a bunch of big breaks that, that seem like nothing now, like earning 50 pounds for, for a day in the studio from grime rappers was a big break at the time we were like this is great this scales we can pay rent and then you know like when we saw our first uh, remix fee and you know like a couple of grand coming in and a record label calling us in to come in for a, to a mastering session and we're like you know like kind of like fake it till you make it that that was a big break um but like they were kind of like microscopic and i think really that the, there were a couple of major ones um one of them was along the way we had started. Like I, always, I always had this relationship with this one um, young lad and I was like performing on his dad's boat. And this kid went on to be in um, like a, a boy band in the UK called, I think it was called VS. They were, they were really successful. Um, and he was putting a new boy band together. And so we were like, let's come in, come and like sing for us. And we ended up signing this boy band. And that was, that boy band went on to be a boy band in the UK called JLS. So that was like a break in the UK. I won't call it a big break, but it was like the first time something we did or was a part of anyway, we were a part of it with the boys. Um, that that was like our first taste of, oh, wow, these guys have gone on to um, to do hugely well. And like they came second in X Factor. They were the biggest boy band in the UK. And like, like it wasn't our songs at the time, but we were, we were, we were part of the, like the, the production, the, uh, team and and they were signed to us and so that was like one of them and then we were like working with this um this chick that would fly over from america because there was like these two managers in the uk that would work together one was a brit uh called richard antwi who was a phenomenal manager he he passed away a few years ago but he was huge on on the scene like he everybody he had was quite successful and he's he had a partner in america so they would like ship this american writer over and we'd do all these demos and um she ended up being a big reason that I went to America. So these like micro big breaks, and I know you've asked for the one moment, lead to the one moment, which compacted. Well, so, sometimes there's not. Yeah, for sure. At the time, they all seemed big, but the the one that I'm kind of kind of getting to was when I when I went to America. And there's like a million parts of this backstory. Everybody thought I was crazy. Like, what are you doing? You got a great thing going on here. I was like doing really well as a DJ, making great money in all the UK nightclubs and stuff, and walked away from that and go to America and long story short, that big break that I would say, which took forever to get to was pink, which was the first record that, um, you know, the first opportunity where I was like, okay, this is going somewhere, but it never felt like a big break at the time. Cause it was so granular, like every single part leading to it, there was no explosions. This is why when you say like a big break, I used to think when I looked at everybody else, Oh man, did, did the fireworks go off when that moment happens? Like, what well, does your life change? And, <laughs> you know? And it just was like, 
anticlimactic and I'm quite a present appreciative person but this was just like you're working with pink but we found out in like a passing comment in an email that and I was like wait I need to reread that again are we on the album is this did he say is on does he mean she's on the telly like what's he talking about so yeah that led to pink and I guess the point I'm making there is it wasn't a big boomy thing but that really opened some doors for us when you tie the two together the JLS well, yeah thing. I mean I, 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 absolutely because that's what's funny is that um that's one of the ironic parts about the show and in, in the time that I've been doing it, is that we we started off this thinking that okay everyone has like this idea here's the time they they got this meeting with this one big wig and and here's how they're gonna you know, here's here's how they hustled the meeting, or here's the little trick they played in the meeting that made it all happen. And sometimes that's the story, right? But yeah. other times it's just constant work. It's just constant foundational work, and they don't even realize how important that moment is until, as you as you say, like after with the fact, and you realize, oh wow, that was. It's almost as if you you knew if you would if you would have known how important that moment was when it was happening, you might have blown it. You know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah. it, it might have been uh, almost too nerve nerve wracking and such. You know, um, things like that. So it's always everyone's got their own little path through this, and that's why I think it's it's really interesting. But let me yeah. let me just dig into the pink thing just just for a minute. Um, yeah. Um. How, so I'm not. I guess I'm not really fully clear. How did that connection actually? happened it was a uh, it was you were working on one thing with the boy band and and there was a connection with someone else in america I, I didn't quite catch the connection for how that all came together um i feel like when you know at the time i was watching listening to every interview i could i was watching everything we were like obsessed with you know we went from one hot producer to the other one minute we sound like kanye next minute we sound like pharrell then we sound like timberland then we sound like you know like in the uk like fraser t smith and these guys and we were always like well what what happened what happened to you guys? Like, like ha, you, you must've just been some explosive um, success, but it wasn't until we started, as you just said, to experience it, you realize that it, it's not, it's all of these micro moments. And that, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to give the stories to like, you know, you realize how long arduous and boring it was <laughs> at the same time as <laughs> it all led to here, because it really was just a series of events. Like the JLS thing led to a, a, a girl that was involved called Jamie J. She's awesome. And she was just singing our praises to a lot of people. Like we, you know, one day I got to meet her again. I haven't seen her for, I haven't seen her for like 15 years. Um, and she was singing her praises to this, to this guy called Richard Antwi. And it was because of that. And Rich had this partner in America and this guy was at rock nation. And it's like, you look back, I mean, like if this stuff was happening to me now, I'd be like, Oh my, this is like, you know, you, you appreciate it, but we didn't. And that re that's what led us to come over to America. That at the same time as the JLS started popping, we had a UK girl band called the Saturdays and we were desperately trying to get a session. Nobody wanted to give us a session because like JLS, we weren't like known as, we were just like, nobody knew us. So they wanted a remix. They didn't want to pay for the remix, not throwing anyone under the bus, but like, that's just how it is. Sometimes people just don't want to pay. So well, all right, cool. You don't want to pay. Give us two days with the girls, with the Saturdays. Like th no point albums done albums closes in mastering. We said, so what? Just give us two days. Then you don't pay for the remix. We'll bring in uh, Ali Tennant, this, this writer in the UK. So we did that, end up getting two records on that track and, and on the Saturday's album. And all of this is happening at the same time. So we've got a few, like a little bit of heat. We've got some cuts. So we start having publishing conversations. And that is what led to, you know, in the meantime, I'm going to America. Everybody's telling me I'm crazy. I'm, I literally just booked that thing and left and like had really, it was, you know, the, my, my ex was involved at the time. She was American. So that helped, you know, we could have been anywhere that we wanted to. And that led to a publishing kind of, um, conversation where we had an offer for twice the money from Warner and we had an offer from BMG and Billy Mann um, for, for, you know, like le less money. But I just had this feeling about this guy, this, this, this Billy dude, like, it's like, man, I'm pacing up and down. I'm like, this is not just my career. This is John's career. This is John's money. This is like, if I get this wrong, what am I going to do? Fuck. Excuse my French. And that really, was the right gamble. And that was just trusting my gut, which I've always done, which is, which is why sometimes you, I'm, I'm fumbling trying to explain it. Cause a lot of this is gut feeling and that led to Billy. And that led to me being, I knew he was close to pink. I knew I could send some beats over and that's what I did. I sent a beat. I sent a bunch of beats over that I thought were good for pink that I spent a week on. Then I spent this one, this one 10 minute beat that was in my trash bin. And then I was like, ah, oh, you know what? 
because it was too hip hop. She like Pink was like doing the like rock pop thing, and that and I pulled that out, sent it with a huge apology. Sorry, I know this is not what you wanted, but here's the Pink records. This is this one thing, and that's the one she ends up cutting. So you know, it's not like I wish I could take credit for the like plan behind it, but it really was those micro moves that took us there. No, I think I think that's perfect. I mean, what you what you've got is basically you're you're. I think just activity, just general activity, like, like not, not sitting around and just waiting for the one big thing that makes everything happen, but to just do the work con- consistently, broadly, and taking risks calculated when when you know they can't, like taking a risk, going to the U.S., taking a risk, choosing the less money, publishing with the with the right gut feeling, things like that. These are all parts that people have to think about. I mean, everyone, anyone in any career, not just a music business, has these same kinds of thoughts, I'm sure. Um, I, this isn't about me, but I've, I, I, I actually heard a lot of things that resonate with my own uh, career, particularly on the taking the job for less money that seemed more right. Like that's, that's something yeah. that I think a lot of people have to do sometimes. Uh, and it's scary at the time, but it really makes a big difference. And it's something that, that, that other folks who are listening, who are maybe struggling with those same uh, questions should, should keep in mind and whatnot. Um, but the song was, was this, this was the song, where did the beat go? Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you were nominated for a Grammy uh, ultimately for that. Is that right as well? Yeah. Yeah, it's just this. So I got to ask you. So what was that like? Like when that nomination came down, put put me in the put me in your head when when you heard about that. Where were you? And what what was that? What was that like when you when you got that uh, when you got that early nod? This is this is where I'm like I feel like I should be on here, you know, like and hype it up and be like, yeah, man, it's great. I've got both Grammys sitting next to me right now in a frame, but but I didn't even know. I, di- I didn't even know. Like we, we someone. I was like, so, so, so what? We, so it's nominated, and I kind of got told late, and I wasn't tracking it. It wasn't like now when you you look at the nominations because everyone in your circle is tweeting about it or Instagramming about it. Like I, I didn't have a circle then. Like so, I didn't know. We 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 were just like, oh, Grammy, what? Uh, well, like the actual the thing with the, the. So so really, it was just like bizarre, and I kind of found out. Um, afterwards and you know I was chatting to another buddy of mine who like he did like man, Frank Ocean singles and Rihanna singles and Beyonce and all that and he was telling me that he found out that one of them won a single on the night like somebody had texted him so sometimes this thing like sounds awesome <laughs> from the outside but there's other parts of it where you're kind of like winging it and getting through and and uh, you know just like it's, it's just happening but you're grafting you're grafting so hard there was not one thing there, there was one thing before this that I was locked onto that was like the biggest thing in my life which was trying to get a pub deal that thing took years but everything else we were so focused on hustling and like grafting and I was just hitting the streets with anyone that would listen to me and just you know faking email addresses so I can try and get in touch with an A&R and you know all of this and I had this like weird algorithm where I felt <laughs> I felt like if I emailed an A&R at like 6am, they wanted to prove that they were awake too. So they'd always reply, whereas they didn't do it later in the day. So there's all these other things going on at the same time that this stuff that we now talk about was happening. So I wasn't really too focused on it. I was just like moving on and just trying to put my best foot forward. Um, so well, yeah. see, now, now you got me interested, right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of looking at the Grammy stuff thinking, okay, that might be an interesting story uh, when you first heard about your Grammy. But you just said something that was far more interesting, which which was this email strategy. I, I need to know more about this. You you were literally te- testing out which times of day would, would generate that. You're like, it's like it's like AB marketing on a digital marketing strategy or something. This is fantastic. Yeah. I, I was the way so, so like keep... you learned that if you did it early, you, you basically were tapping into their ego to, show, to for, for them to be able to prove that they were awake and paying attention. Well, that was my, that was my, that was my theory. I mean, it might have just been that they had more time and they weren't like exhausted, like, you know, like later on in the day, but I just found that when I was like telling that story and reaching out, if it was super early in the morning, people would, would get back. So I was like, okay, this is, this is my hack. This is my lucky, this is my lucky, you know, like my lucky sports shoes or whatever, like this, this thing works. So I was just out doing that and just trying to, you know, Really, at the time, there was a lot more blagging. There was a lot more like fake it till you make it because we didn't have a lot to talk about and it was only just starting to happen. So the correlation between kind of blagging it and things actually working mixed with really putting the work in meant that we started to have things to actually talk about. And I think that's when people would start to respond and and take us a little bit more seriously. So yeah, I I was just like a nutcase that was just so focused on hustle. It was just, what's next? What are we doing? Let's go. but honestly, like yeah, that's a, that's a great that's a great tip is that, that the early morning thing. And you mentioned something else, and if you can't get into it, that's fine. But I, I thought I heard you say something along the lines of um, um, faking email accounts or something like that. So that what was that about? Oh yeah, we had like 
our company, our um, production team, <laughs> Uh, we we had uh, God, it was we were called track laces, uh, but we had this like uh-huh. um, we had this entity called New Track City, like New Jack City. But so we would have like one email address and, and info at New Track City. But then we'd have accounts at New Track City, and then we'd have all these things that just made it sound a lot bigger than we were. It was just us sitting there with one computer, by the way, not even two. And um, and so we would just try and like use use that. And yeah, there was. There was there was there was so much there was so much blag and wide boy South London stuff back in the day that it's kind of embarrassing to admit. Even the way I would send, de- I used to, I used to, <laughs> I was at Brit School and I used to stalk this one A and R. I can't remember his second name, but he was at Sony. His name was Danny, and I've somehow got this poor guy's number. I feel awful, and I would leave a, a message a day minimum. And I'd be like, "You call me back, Danny. I'll put you on the map at Sony." Then I. <laughs> I basically harassed him to the point where he phoned me back one day and said, what do I need to do to stop you calling me? And I couldn't believe it. It made my day. I mean, it was like calf insulting, but the guy called me back and it worked and it, and it led to a studio session. Like, you know, so yeah, it was, it was crazy craziness. A lot of that stuff I was filtering out. I wouldn't never do that, you know? Well, let me, so let, let me ask you one last thing here, which is, um, you, you were obviously, you know, you came up uh, in uh, in uh, in London and England. You're there, you're there now, but you spent some time in, in the U.S. Is it, can you can you speak at all? Is there any real, I don't know, noticeable differences in working in the business in the U.S. versus in in England? Is there anything that that you noticed as being significantly um, specific about each one? I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I haven't I haven't done both, so I'm not really sure what I'm asking. I'm just trying to get a sense of what it was like working here versus working there. If there's anything that really stands out. I mean, you're, you're, you're dead on it. It's, 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 it's massively different. And, you know, I always knew I had to get to America. I, I didn't know, I didn't know how. And I just knew because everything I would watch and all those guys that dream big, you know, I was a weirdo in the UK because, you know, people just kind of, a lot of most people, um, just kind of like fit into the framework of what's happening. And, but the Americans, they were just, they were just like, they were on it. They were hustling. They were thinking like I was. And so when I got there, it was everything I expected and more. Um, it was so different to the UK, mainly because of that. You, you kind of hear like the the like land of opportunity and, and all that kind of stuff. And and it really is. Like any crazy idea I had, I met someone that could help facilitate that. From the craziest encounters of these angels I talk about, like one dude tapping me on the shoulder in a cafe because I was talking too loud, arguing with John about drums not being epic. This guy goes, yo, your drum's not epic. And it turns out this is this dude that produced every hit that was the soundtrack to my 20s. We end up going and working together. You can't make this stuff up. Like that doesn't, that didn't happen for me in the UK. And it doesn't sound like it happens in the UK because someone wouldn't lean across and tap you as much as, as um, they do in America. So everything was bigger, you know, like it was just, it was just bigger. And for someone that was dreaming big and, and like kind of had a bit of a big mouth and thinking big, it, re- it really just like, connected when i got there not straight away it was brutal for the first year but yeah the the biggest differences were you, you if you've got that idea nobody's crossing their arms shaking their head saying it will never happen they're saying all right let's figure out how to make it happen whereas in the uk i i, I don't know if it's the the rain or the the gray skies but i used to just find that it was a bit more arms crossed that's not how we do it kind of vibe so i mean the uk is incredible for different things but yeah that's the big difference for me all right, that's interesting. I never, uh, I, I, guess I never really thought about it that way before. So, um, so it seems like I guess I, we, the most of what we talk about is the early days, and of course the uh, you know the big break and sort of you know when things sort of start to happen for you. Let's fast forward a little bit now. I don't, I don't know if there's anything uh, particularly impactful that you want to bring up be- between then and where we are now. But I was going to ask you about where you where you are now, what you're doing now, what's what's next for you, anything you want to promote or uh, or highlight at, at the moment. Um. Well, what's next is funny because right now everything's shut down for everybody, for most people. So, you know, I, so I, so I lived in Los Angeles. I've got a, a dual citizenship. I'm also American. My kids, two of my kids were born in America. We moved back and we come back timed right around when Corona's happening. So it's kind of like derailed the, 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 the big maneuvers that we were doing, but um, really it's just, you know, more, more of making great music, writing with great writers, reconnecting with, um, great ARs, you know like that that big break as you call it that led to so many things like that that they that same record label that did pink that rca right in new york i developed a bond with with one guy robin adomi incredible a and he 
he took a shine and kind of believed in me. And he he then gave me a chance to do Christine Aguilera and then Jordan Sparks and Sear and like um, Pitbull and all these things that he brought to me. Um, that that has kind of carried forward to where I'm at now. And and so I'm you know reworking with these guys and um, the boys JLS are coming back right now. So the lead singer from that boy band uh, i'm gonna work with him on his on his solo project and um apart from that it's really just you know digging in doing more of the good stuff and um but with the slightly different optics of of you know your dad now so you filter things so you, you don't just say yes to everything you you know you're trying to kind of like get ahead of the sessions and make sure they make sense and kind of get build a good team around you so that's what i'm doing right now all systems go loving what we're loving life loving music all right, great. And how do um, how do people follow you or find you online? Are you, uh, are you active on any of the socials? Like, if anyone, anyone listening wants to follow you now, where would that? Where, where would you point them to? I'm like a pensioner with this stuff. Like, I <laughs> I, I have to get my phone out to tell you what my 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 uh, names are. But you could you could get me on Instagram, DJ Steve Daly, S T E V E D A L Y, and I think I think it's the same thing for Twitter. Um, but yeah. I don't really use that stuff, but um, yeah, that's 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 me. We're over here right now. And, okay, uh, all systems go. Well, any and then I guess we'll just end. I, I like to end with any any closing thoughts. Anything you any closing tips, thoughts of inspiration. Any anything you wanna you wanna close with today before we uh, before we end our our talk. So crazy that we come to the end. It just feels like we we just uh, just just having a we just chat. got started, right? Mad, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know what? Ain't everybody's out there claiming to be a guru at the moment. There's too many people telling people what they should think and what they should do. There's a course for everything. Like, just just trust your gut. Listen to the fact that there is no right, one way to do this. You know, think outside the box. If everybody's doing one way of sending, you know, send a demo, do this, you know, cold call a publisher, then, then navigate around it. You know, like, just, just try and find ways to think around the box. Build out a team. Try and get a good rep at your PRO, ASCAP, BMI, PRS. These guys are free. They're incredible. They can plug you into people when they start to believe in you. Try and find a good lawyer to bet on you. You know, maybe a junior lawyer if you're just getting started because these guys can plug you in. And then when you get going, just, you know, strike that balance of being yourself and playing the game. You know, you've got to kind of play the game a bit, but just be yourself and just make good music. That's it. Just make good music and, and enjoy it. And it just seems to pan out. Well, I can't think of any better advice than that. Listen, I want to thank you so much for spending the time with me today. It's been a true pleasure. Um, good luck with to, to you and your family. Obviously, with uh, uh, the lockdowns and the and the slow uh, removal of the of the restrictions and whatnot. And uh, I hope to you know talk to you again someday soon. Thanks very much. Yeah, been a pleasure. Been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. To keep up with Steve, be sure to check out his social media profiles linked in the show notes. And be sure to join us in two weeks for a brand new episode. But until then, stay safe and we'll see you next time.